0: This episode is sponsored by Scofton, which is a great place to get great grub on this great worker placement game which is on Kickstarter right now, until the middle of November. And now, on with the show. episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for maybe Halloween? We don't know because it could be quite scary. It could be not quite scary. It depends on when the about this is going to be released. We don't know. That is the mystery. You know, I don't know. I'm feeling slight, slightly paranoid at the moment. I don't know if maybe the visions of Hellboy are around the corner or maybe I'm just feeling just that extra little bit paranoid. They might have it in for me. Everybody's got an infamy. They've even got a league of infamy. So I thought, if I'm going to have a league of infamy, I don't want to feel a bit needy. I don't want to be going around complaining, meowing like a cat. So I thought, can I combine it all together? So joining me from Needy Cat Games to talk about the league of infamy, I've got Sophie Williams. Boom. Hello. Hello.
1: That was that right? was glorious. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm very good. How are you?
0: Um I'm gonna to need to take a take a rest after that horrific intro. But you know, you can't have everything. Um as I said, I'd probably people will be confused and going, There were so many different words going on. I uh, Richard, what are you actually talking about? Um, you have got a Kickstarter in conjunction with um the fabulous people at Mantic Games called mm-hmm. the League of Infamy. Um, you yourself, uh, you've been involved in various different board games, including the the Hellboy board game. Um, yes, yes, which 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 did um which did rather well, and this is your your latest thing is the League of Infamy itself, um, which appears to be doing what Mantic usually do, which is. Taking down those stretch goals one at a time And sending them off in the corner To think about what they did So <laughs> how are you feeling At the moment? I mean you must be Things must be quite happy Smiley, I mean less kind of infamy More of kind of yay for me Kind of thing
1: Yeah, yay for me, Um, exactly Well yay for us, I mean we are really, really pleased with the League of Infamy. Um, we describe it as a co-operative game. Uh, it's and it's very fun yeah. and very silly. Um, so it's uh, a game where you play the villains assaulting the good guys and in, in their keep. So the the the, the core game is uh, elves hurled up in a keep with a dragon sanctuary, a dracon sanctuary and uh, you you Mm. want a bit of those dragons so you're going in and it's just been such a joy to write and it's been so like the testing has been so silly and fun and every game we play there's just people laughing around the table it's been so fun to make Mm. And then to see that everyone else is getting really excited about it and sort of experiencing that joy vicariously through them has been great. Like to watch it and to see the success has been fantastic.
0: I mean, um, this must be slightly different from Hellboy. I mean, what was your involvement with the Hellboy game? Were you, were you so, involved in the design side of things? Were you
1: Oh, absolutely. Yes. So, uh, so there's two of us in Needy Cat Games and, Mm -hmm. uh, the way that Needy Cat Games works is we, we write rules and then the, the wonderful people at Mantic Games for both Hellboy and League of Infamy take the rules and make them look beautiful and lay them out Mm -hmm. and get beautiful models made and painted. And they basically do all of the stuff post writing some rules in a Word document. So they do a huge amount of work to make Mm -hmm. the game a finished product. But, um... In the previous uh, the, the previous game Hellboy, um, James Hewitt, who is the other half of Needy Cat games, wrote like the core engine of Hellboy. Um, yeah. and he created the first three core missions, but there's six in the in the core box. And then I yeah. basically wrote the other three missions. And all of the extended content other than Hellboy in Mexico. So Hellboy in Mexico was written by a good friend of ours, Edwin, who is a fantastically talented game designer. Um, But other than Hellboy in Mexico, I basically wrote every other piece of expansion content. So there's a lot of it.
0: (laughs) Um, Did you you have to do a lot of kind of research? Were you always a kind of like a big Hellboy fan before you took up the mantle?
1: Yeah, we were we were sort of notional fans of Hellboy. We'd read a couple of comics and we quite yeah. liked it. But in it took us a year to do all of Hellboy. And in that year, we both read pretty much every single comic that's ever been written that has Hellboy in it. Plus a load of BPRD stuff, yeah. plus a load of sort of surrounding stuff like the the extended uh, there was like a, a short comic series about the visitor and his history and all sorts of different things. And so we pretty much totally steeped ourselves in the history of Hellboy, um, mm-hmm. and the lore because we're really passionate about like, emboiling boiling that's not a word uh, like embedding it is that's not what I meant <laughs> yeah um, so embedding the uh, the theme into the mechanics we're really passionate about making sure that when you're playing the game it feels like mm. the experience of reading the comics for Hellboy or with League of Infamy it's about like when you're playing the game you feel like a sneaky villain who could stab someone in the back and get glee from it so we, we really want you to yeah. have that sort of emotional experience so it's not a case of writing a game and then like putting a sort of theme on top of it and sort of giving it a slap of paint and that being being the game we really try and steep yeah. ourselves in the history and the lore and bake those elements into the mechanics from the very start um so, yeah, in the space of about a year, we really like went deep with Hellboy. We really did a deep dive and it, we've sort of accidentally become quite big mega fans <laughs> because, you know, we're like, oh, well, actually, I think you will <laughs> find that so that was in The Wild Hunt. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been great, though. It's been a really great experience. Um, if you go on our YouTube channel, you can actually find us getting very excited dissecting the new Hellboy t- trailer when it was like a teaser trailer. Because we, at that point, we were so embedded in Hellboy, um, we had so much exposure to it like every single frame we were like oh yeah here that's clearly um Bubba Yugger's house or yeah this is clearly you can see there's that that gap in the back of his jacket I wonder if that's a stab wound from Koshi and stuff like that so we were really deep at that point and I think you can tell by our slightly manic looks on our faces during that YouTube video um because we managed to drag a like two minute <laughs> t- teaser trailer out to about an hour's worth of discussion <laughs> so <laughs> yeah we it, it was great fun though
0: Yeah, I think with things like this is when you do Because it was obviously the comic book adaptation It wasn't the film So I reckon, Mm. I mean I was guessing a lot of the backers that came in Would have been pretty big Hellboy fans Pretty big Mantic fans And you would have got people that would have come in And been quite critical And I know there's Hellboy fans out there That kind of took a while to even warm To the Gamelo Del Toro kind of version You know, they they loved Ron Perlman from the beginning but they weren't sure of what, what happened with some of the some of the characters, even though to kinda of like the average Joe like me, it would kinda of look well, that was a pretty sterling kind of effort and a pretty good kind of adapt kind of adaptation. Mm-hmm. Did you um when you were kind of developing Hellboy, did you feel constrained? To kind of make sure that you were matching people's expectations that you weren't having kinda of like you weren't gonna go well, let's allow them to do this, and people were gonna go that's that's never ever gonna happen kind of thing but well, you kind of making sure you kind of you know if people like fan service, you need to make sure that they're serviced well, if you know what I mean. <laughs>
1: Mm, yeah i can see uh, i never felt like that at the time i think because Mm. rather than it feeling like fan service it felt more like inspiration that sounds really cheesy um (laughs) um, we felt inspired by a lot of the things that hellboy did and we were like oh that thing was awesome how could we replicate that rather than Mm. it being like oh we better put that thing in because otherwise the fans will be really you know annoyed by that Yeah, Um, yeah also we were huge fans and we became bigger and bigger fans through the project so we were really passionate about trying to embody what we thought hellboy was obviously everybody's experience and interpretation of the comics is different um i know that some people expressed um sort of uh you know slight disappointment about the fact that the when you play through the case files they're not exact replication replicants of the um of the comics. They're not identical blow-by-blow playthroughs. Um, but that's because we did have constraints, but they were much more on like, how do you make a board game fun if there's four people playing it? Um, you know, the the first major major mission where Hellboy is 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 involved, they go to a house, wander around for a while, someone gets kidnapped, another person kind of runs away because he's a bit scared, and then there's a big fight at the end and that's like literally the entire thing. And there's like two frog monsters in it. And it, in a, it, you know, the experience of a board game has to be more, much more action packed and fast paced and engaging for all the players, um, from a much earlier point. So the, the actual biggest challenge for us was how do we make it feel like Hellboy, but still make it a fun board game to play. So what we try to do is yeah, take inspiration yeah. from like key story beats rather than, going it's a playthrough of the mission that that Hellboy went on it's like okay what were the coolest bits of that mission how can we in, you know how can we embody those without it seeming like that, that shoehorned in and how can we encourage players to come to those things on their own their own terms while they're still having a fun experience so that was the biggest challenge with that actually rather than trying to do fan service and make sure that the elements of Hellboy were brought into the board game the biggest part was making sure the board game part of it was fun (laughs) at the same time as embodying Hellboy and all the dark and slow gritty burn of the stories there's a huge amount of Hellboy stories where he's wandering around and either thinking to himself or talking to a skeleton or you know ruminating in a bar in hell you know there's a lot of him just sort of talking about the world and that's not stuff that you can really replicate in a kind of dungeon crawl-esque Feel of a board game So then how do you still mm. make people feel like They're going through that journey So that was the the challenge rather than going Oh suppose we better make Roger Recharge you know like Because that stuff was like that's the cool stuff That's the stuff we're definitely putting in
0: So what did you feel so when it came to the, like The League of Infamy Were the kind mm-hmm. of the shackles completely off I mean were you able to just say right okay I'm guessing that you might have Had a pile of ideas from Hellboy That you thought I've put this to the side because I'm not sure this is going to fit in Did you, Were you able mm. to bring them in and just say Let's just bring it on, come on Bring the onions, bring the chips Give me some <sighs> of that strawberry sauce Let's just mix it all together And shake it up and see what happens Because I've seen It kind of twists things on its head Because I've seen a lot of games mm. Where it's like um, and even Mantic have been guilty with things themselves, so like Dungeon Saga and, and, and kind of Star Saga, of one mm. person controlling the bad guys and one person controlling the good guys. Was it, from an early, was it from an early point in the game was the first thing that you wrote down on the A4 pad was, let's be the bad guys this time, kind of thing?
1: So, so the thing is, is, what's really interesting is uh, Needy Cat Games write games for businesses so like you know someone like mantic will come up to us and go either we've got this amazing ip like they did with hellboy and we want to make Mm. a game or they'll go we've got this idea for a game do you think it it has legs and how can we make it into something that's really fun and dynamic so actually credit has to completely go to mantic for that mantic came to us and we're like we want to do a game set in the kings of war universe where you're the bad guys um, and we were like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> so that's where we sort of took that idea and researched the Kings of War universe and had loads of conversations with the guys at Mantic about, you know, what yeah. what they thought that would feel like and what the experience they wanted the players to have. But also we had a lot of ideas about like what, what makes a fun game, what elements in like a lot of games do you feel you can't do? You know, like when you're just like, oh, I just wish I could just I I need that healing potion and you're not sharing it. So I just, I just wish I could have it. You know, those sorts of things. Like how can we give people those kind of satisfaction uh, moments, you know, where they're they're being a bit naughty without it breaking the game and it just turning into all out war between the players. Um, And that was the biggest challenge was like, how villainous are the villains? How far do we take it? Um, and that bar moved backwards and forwards constantly during the development process of, oh, maybe it's just minor annoyances. Oh, no, maybe they can kill each other. Oh, no, that's too far. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and so actually the, the original concept was totally due to Mantic, And then it was a really strong collaboration through the whole process, um, to make sure that it kind of embodied both the Kings of War universe and our ideas about what would make a fun game. Um, and we absolutely shamelessly borrowed elements from Hellboy, um, from Star Saga, yeah. which of course was an iteration from Dun- Dungeon Saga, um, because yeah. it was a mantic game, and because we were allowed to do that. And... There is an element of if something's not broke, don't fix it. If something works really well, why try and re- reinvent the wheel constantly? Um, and because we were able to go, well, it's a Mantic game. It's part of the Mantic family. It's it can have the same DNA, even if it's an ultimately quite a different game. That that sort of design DNA is quite obvious from you know from quite early on. As you said, you know there's this. There's bits of it where you're like, Oh, yeah, there's clearly some Mantic stuff in there. You know, there's clearly Hellboy and clearly Star Saga. Well, yeah, that was quite deliberate. We wanted it to be, it to feel like a Mantic yeah. game. Um, but what we also did was throw in some stuff that's not in any of the other games because we wanted it to feel new and different. Um, and it not to just be a reskin of something else. You, know, we didn't want it, people to go to it and go, Oh, it's Hellboy with a different slap of paint and call everyone the, the villains. We didn't want people to feel like that. So there's all sorts of different elements in there about like how you explore the keep and how the keep master works because obviously Hellboy is fully cooperative where this has a keep master much more in the vein of Dungeon Saga and Star Saga. Um, But the keep master interacts with people in a very different way in this. So, you know, we tried to really push it outside of that. You've seen this before, but it's different.
0: Yeah. um, Would you consider yourself, what would you class yourself as? Like a a kind of like, Because it sounds like you're more than just a more than a designer to me. Because a designer is somebody, you know that it sounds like you're kind of like you're you're kind of. I mean, it's almost like a case of here's a here's a snippet of an idea, and you say brilliant. Here's the recipe on how you make that idea kind of work, kind of thing. Here's all the extra bits that you can wrangle. So you kind of like almost like an ideas kind of taster You go away and you kind of see well, this is going to work. This isn't going to work. Because normally mm. in, my, in my eyes A designer has a very set path Of this is how I want it to work Here's the main mechanics And then they hand over to the developer And the developer will go Okay these 15 out of the 20 mechanics We really like but if we tweak the additional 5 and add these other 3 Then that's going to really make something to the game But it sounds to mm. me like you're kind of Running the whole deal, the whole thing Along with obviously with um, with James as well But mm. I mean would you consider yourself kind of like designer th- that's levelled up to the kind of the designer next, plus the next level? Yeah, pretty much. Plus yeah, one. designer um, squared. I've, maybe I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, that's really interesting. No one's ever said that to me before. Um. Uh, it's yeah. No, I I've spoken to on... my point
0: of view is i have spoken to a lot of Kickstarter designers, and they seem to have mm. a very, very kind of fixed view of where they're going. And it's unless they've maybe get the game, a publisher comes in. And then all the publishers like Pandasaurus, they've got like somebody like John Gilmore working it. So, what happens is you'll sign the deal with your publisher. They'll hand it over to somebody like John Gilmore, and John Gilmore will then develop it further. Whereas I say, it sounds to me like there's somebody's just here's a whim, you know what I mean? All don't, you know, the donuts have the ability to turn into cars. What do you think Mm. of that then? And you're just coming back and saying oh here you go kind of thing (laughs)
1: um well i think part of that is due to james's uh ability to see a game in anything uh literally i'm pretty sure that he could gamify any chore any experience like he'll be driving to the shops and be like you know there's there's a game in how much space you can you can fit things in the boot and if you if you had it as a resource management game where everyone's going to fit, and you'd be like, oh my goodness, like we're literally going to the shops right now. What's going on? He he sees the whole world in game mechanics, so I think he has a, a talent for that, um, and being able to sort of iterate very very quickly. Um, I think it also designs. It depends on your design process. So we um, we really encourage. We actually run game design courses, um, and we run them up in Nottingham, but we also run them online. And when we're talking about uh how to get a game out of your brain and onto a piece of paper, Um, the biggest thing that people fall down on is that they massively over-engineer the game in their brain. And it's far better to have three scraps of paper with some vague gibberish written on them that sort of vaguely functions but maybe doesn't really um, on a piece of paper in front of you than it is to have a huge world-building you know, civilization-style game fully mapped out in your brain but have nothing made. Um, And we talk about how rapid prototyping and fast iteration and testing ideas as soon as they come into your brain and, like, just getting them made and playing it for 10 seconds and going, oh, no, this is horribly broken, and then going on to something else Um, and being willing to make those mistakes very quickly um, means that you can chug through a hell of a lot of ideas very, very rapidly um and get some really great results out very quickly um now that's not everyone's design style so some people do have to have that huge you know the theorist planning everything first and making sure they know exactly where they're going and having a very clear idea of what their their theme is and their story and uh what their route is where we we don't we we will literally be like uh what if you have five cards in your hand and you're farming pumpkins and you have to pick three pumpkins. How does that work? Right. Okay, you play a card and you pick a card. Oh, no, that's really boring. How can we make them more interesting? Uh, do this thing. Um, and so we can chug through like loads of ideas and just quickly discard stuff that isn't very interesting. Um, in a day, you know, we'll we'll just we'll just blitz through stuff. Now, obviously that's not where the design process finishes. But I think it gives us an ability to be able to evolve ideas very, very quickly. And because we've been doing that for like yeah. two and a half years as Needy Cat Games, it's a skill we've developed even further and got quicker and better at it. Because obviously everything, the more you practice it, the better you get. So that's that's kind of our approach. Um, and in terms of... W- the way that we do that you know rather than being picked up by a publisher and just working you know to a brief very strictly the the reason that we work in the way that we do is is quite brutally because we saw a gap in the market uh you know we wanted to be a games design studio we wanted to write board games and the thing is is, it is it's hard it's really hard to get known as a, a board game designer or to publish something or to get something that's successful on kickstarter it's brutal and it's difficult you know and a huge amount of Kickstarters fail and no, through no fault of the quality of the game. It's just, there's, it's a huge market and how do you get seen? Um, and we realized that actually there's a need by a lot of um, games companies out there or a lot of companies that make miniatures at least um where they want to make models, but they don't necessarily have the skill set that we do. So that's where we were like, okay, well, what we'll do is make ourselves available where people can go, we want to sell these models, or we have this IP, make us a game. And when we started pitching that to people, we were booked up like very, very quickly because it was a niche. It was a niche within a niche within a niche, but it was a niche. And that's what's given us our ability to develop our skills, build our business um, and kind of grow from there um, with our hopes that we're actually going to be making games for ourselves by next year so early next year so you know it, it was entirely done because we were like uh, we've got this skill set how can our skill set fit into an already quite busy market well here's an area that we can see that people need support in which we can do so let's go that way and then we met the wonderful people at Mantic and they give us lots of games to write <laughs>
0: Yeah, so well, I was going to say that. I mean, I mean, even if, um, you know, even say you get an R2 games down the line, yeah, mm-hmm. and you're becoming synonymous with kind of just producing quality games, would you consider going to Kickstarter yourself or would you still kind of go to Mantic and say, look, this is our bad boy now. Could you help us? Because I, I, I mean, you said, you know, you, you said yourself that Kickstarter's fail and nobody has any reason. I mean, I've, I, I, I have Kickstarter people constantly on the show, and mm-hmm. I keep saying this, but it's absolutely impossible for me to look at a c- campaign nowadays and say, um, this one's definitely going to fund or this one's not going to fund. And mm. um, I've come to a conclusion that it's based around two things. It's based around your previous track record. Which is almost impossible to get Unless you have a previous track record You can't start from nowhere And that even goes down to the number of projects you back People kind of judge you They look at you and go mm-hmm. Alright well they're a first time creator But they've only backed three games So therefore I'm not even going near them Because they don't know how Kickstarter works To um, It seems to be an awful lot around the num. You getting the name out there But actually getting your feet out there as well And walking around the cons And meeting people and demonstrating Kind of that way seems to be the way the way to go It's just, mm-hmm. it seems to be I'm not sure social media is the way to go With Kickstarter anymore I just think there's too much noise There's too many links flying about There's too many press releases And preview videos That you actually need to get your product In people's hands in order for them to go This is... Going to do the business, I am definitely going to Kind of back mm-hmm. that product So what I'm saying for you is If you came back and said right okay We are going to do the kind of the hungry Cat trilogy, we're going to do Kind of needy cat, sleepy cat Hungry cat, would you then <laughs> Go at Mantic and say look Here's our game, would you consider Kind of publishing it rather than You going out yourselves and, and Having to essentially kind of start Again on the Kickstarter platform
1: you, you know what? It's an interesting question that we've been discussing ourselves. Um, and we've actually come to the conclusion that we are actually going to be bringing a game to Kickstarter in January. Um, so that's, that's going to be the test, I suppose. <laughs> the reason we've done it that way, though, is exactly as you said, you know, people judge you on your, your previous track record. Um, we're very lucky that we've managed to work with companies such as Mantic. Um, we also did Devil May Cry with Steamforged. Um, so we have got, a bit of a reputation now you know we've we have been very visibly involved in a lot a couple of kickstarters that have been really really popular um and i've had really great feedback which is lovely um but it is a risk it's a massive punt and we'll see if it works or not i suppose um but you're absolutely right you're absolutely right that it is a a thing where um you know because people do judge it, they they do look at it and go, "Well, you know, you haven't really done this, we haven't really done that." We're very we're in mm. a very privileged position um, where James ha- was the community manager for Mantic many years ago, many moons ago. So he's been well yeah. known uh, sort of across social media for like six seven years, I think. Um, then he went and worked for Games Workshop and yeah. did some very very renowned company you know, games with them. Uh, both James yeah. and myself previous to that, worked for a long time in Games Workshop Retail. And it's amazing how many people we know from those days who have now gone and worked in the wider gaming industry. There's people all over the place who, you know, we still have links with. So we're in a very, very privileged position, and we're very aware of that, that we have... Um, quite a strong network of, of games companies and people in the gaming industry who we can, we can work with. Um, and we've also done a lot of work to develop that as well. In the last two years, Needy Cat Games has, um, helped to build the tabletop industry collective in nottingham which is a networking group for people who work in the tabletop games industry uh nottingham being known as the the lead belt um where everyone seems to come to make games (laughs) so there's there's just so many games companies here there's rpg writers there's you know, m- m- companies making, uh, you know, 28 millimeter and-, and different scales of miniatures. There's people who write board games like ourselves. There's people who who do uh, amazing experience days where they'll run RPG for people or there's somebody who runs um, yeah. like a-, a simulation Star Trek game. You know, there's all sorts of stuff going on in, in the Nottingham area. And, we're- and again, we're just very lucky to be in the middle of it. So we started a networking um, group, Uh, Because we kept bumping into people at like Salute or Essen and going, hey, you know, we should catch up someday. And, you know, they they live (laughs) 10 minutes down the road from me and I see them once a year at Essen. You know, you're just like, what's going on? Yeah, exactly.
0: I've just paid out like £700. It's like, why do I have to keep Mm. paying out £700 or £800 to fly across (laughs) here, get accommodation, where we could just like, can we not just phone each other and kind of arrange to meet like 10 minutes down the road and it's not going to cost us a small fortune, kind of thing?
1: Exactly. You could just pop in for a cup of tea. What are we doing? So um, (laughs) that's the reason we started it. And we were absolutely stunned with the volume of people that are here and actively making games. You know, we thought, oh, we'd have like 20 or 30 people. I think the group is now up to like 350 people. Um, some of them wow. aren't actually based in Nottingham, but are willing to commute. Yeah, it's a huge group of people. And it's artists, illustrators, photographers, editors, writers, mm-hmm. games designers. It's just like the full spectrum of anyone who works in the industry, you know, um, and it's incredible and it's really inspiring. So because we've got that great network, we were like, well, if we're ever going to do it, we might as well do it now. Um and we'll see. <laughs> if that doesn't work out, then we may take a different tack because our long term goal has always been we want to make games. We, we've we got hundreds of games ideas. Um, we have a literally a board up in our office, which every time we're like, oh, that would be a great idea for a game. We just write it on the board as like, a, well, we can't do it now. <laughs> but it's parked. Yeah. Um and there's stacks of games that we would love to write. So that's really where we want to be, you know, in five, ten years' time is is writing games.
0: Is there um is there IPs you would like to kind of get your hands on? I, know, I mean, you mentioned Steamforge.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: obviously Steamforge, the first big thing that they had, one of the biggest funding Kickstarters with like the Dark Souls. Um, kind of IP. Is there anything like that that you just says? Oh, just you know, if you put that on a plate for me, I would carve you something wonderful. Basically, is there any IPs <laughs> along those lines?
1: Oh yeah, so many. Um, I've got so many ideas for so many different games. Um, and I think James was really keen on doing a Soul Caliber game. Um, I don't know if there's one out there or not, but he had this great wow. idea for one. I know, that'd be really cool, wouldn't it? Um, I've always wanted to write the board game that is in the start of the 80s cartoon Flight of Dragons. And if you've never seen it, that's fine. It's quite a niche like feature <laughs> film, but it was incredible and it was very informative I, in, my, in my youth.
0: <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything at all. I'm not going to judge Kenny either. <laughs> um, I want... I actually want a kind of a D and D hero quest type game with the characters from the original Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Ah. I don't know if somebody's done that. I think that would be quite. I think that would be a quite a cool thing to do, and I'm just, I'm just flummoxed as to why it's never ever come to the table. Maybe I missed it. Maybe there are kind of fan versions of that, but I'd love, I'd love to see, I'd love to see something like that. Um, I'd love. I kind of um, there's all, I mean just some of the obscure things um, I mean I've got kids, you've got kids mm-hmm. um, have you looked at kids games as well? Have you thought well I've done Devil May Cry and I've done all these other fantastic IPs I mean is there another side of you that says well you know as the little ones kind of grow up I mean and I'm like this I'm kind of like well what games I mean it's a bit it's a bit terrible for me to try and get you to play the others or something like that. I know your own, I mean, I know, he's, you know my one's just turned like seven, but, mm. you know, it'd be nice to get him kind of more involved. Again, so have you thought about, is that something that you've ever considered kind of thing? Or are you it's quite... something
1: we're, yeah, we're so we're totally open to it. It's just, we've been so busy. Mm. We've literally been booked up with work. It's not been something that we've been able to have the time to do. Um, however, um, yeah. it is absolutely something that we do, like on a regular basis, we're constantly doing things in our brain, in our in our minds while we're playing. So uh my daughter is four, um, and she's hilarious and she's obsessed with board games. And I don't know if it's because she knows we write we we write them and so she's she wants to be part of it, but she loves them. Mm. Um and so we we've got a lot of very sort of basic, you know, aimed at like the three, four, five-year-old market. Um, and while we're playing it, we're like, Oh, this is such a basic roll and move. And even for a four year old, it would just be so much more interesting if you did this or this. Or what would happen? I mean, I've got this game that I had since I was like five or six called Market Day by, um, Ravensburger. And I love yeah. it. And I, I was obsessed with this game when I was a child and I pulled it out for, for Lily and she was like, she just loves it. She adores it, but it's so long and it's supposed to be played by five-year-olds and they get bored after half an hour and I'm just looking at going this game this game is was not as good a quality as I remember when I was five. Um, so um, while we're playing, I'm already thinking <laughs> yeah. about like how would I improve that? Could I pitch an improved version of this back to them so that they could reuse the assets? because yeah. that, that'd be quite a cheap reskin for them, you know. <laughs> and I'm always chugging away at those ideas. Um, loads of like <laughs> counting can I, games, Can I redesign like that.
0: your game? Yeah. <laughs> Can I redesign your yeah. game, and can you give me some money for redesign your yeah. game? That would be very. F- well, they've just put jaws out, haven't they? I mean, Ravensburger have just mm. put kind of jaws out, and I've sent them kind of direct messages on Twitter, going, and they just blocked me. I just, think, you know, some people just, you know, ah, they, 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 it happens, you know, it just <laughs> happened. It was one of these things. Um, in terms of um, kind of. I guess kind of In the pa- for people who are Starting out just now For people mm-hmm. who have got the kind of the white pads In front of them Because we do, as I say, we, we, we kind of We have a lot of people who design games kinda like Kickstarter wise, obviously I have I'm, you know, I, you know, delighted to get People like Emma Larkins and John Gilmore And um, mm-hmm. even That Stephen Bonacore boy He came on the show once, but Would you have any kind of tips for people Who are sitting there thinking, I I'm not sure I could do this kind of thing or, or would you would you say give any kind of tips to maybe people kind of starting out looking at kind of development um, squared or plus as you would call it yeah.
1: So um the uh, first thing, everyone can write games. Uh, it, it's just a skill. Like anything else, you can learn to play the ha- violin, you can learn to write a game. It's exactly the same situation, except for the fact that writing games, I think, is probably easier mm. than learning to play the violin. Um, my mantra, and it's the thing I say whenever I'm asked this, is play more games, write more games, repeat. And if you just play loads and loads of games and give writing a game a go... Yeah. And you get five minutes into it and think, this is a disaster. Go and play a few more games. Try writing another game. Mm -hmm. And then you might get in 10 minutes and go, oh, no, no, this is awful. We'll play some more games, get some more inspiration and write some more games. And it's literally a case of practice. And the more you overcome that barrier of physically writing your stuff out and making a few cards out of bits of paper, literally scraps of paper and giving it a go, that, that kind of first oh, this is going to be terrible, but I've just got to get through it. And then you change one thing, and then you play it again for 30 seconds and go, oh, no, I'll change this one thing. Um, and it doesn't have to be complete. It doesn't need yeah. the start. You don't need the end. You don't need to have a goal. You don't need to have a theme if that's not the way that you like to do things. But just have something. And then the more you iterate it, the more games you play, and the more you write, the better it gets. And that is that is the absolute underpinning of how we write games. So play more games, write more games Repeat <laughs> That's, I know it sounds really basic But it is like the actual foundation There's absolute a lot foundation.
0: of maths things going on in this conversation There's a lot of <laughs> maths going on In this conversation You know really? with pluses and squares And stuff like that I don't know Are you able to kind of switch off From analysing games When you're playing them Are you able to clear everything to the side And kind of just enjoy a game for enjoyment's sake, or do you still find yourself occasionally going right? I need to wind down because we've been spending the day designing. You end up bringing a game to the table, and you're like, "Oh, if only they did three resources instead of two, that would make such a difference." This is frustrating. Burn it, kind of thing.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both for me. Um, I. Personally, if I'm if I'm burnt out, if I'm like really worn out, because game design isn't a thing. Like some people feel that you have to wait for inspiration, or you have to, you know, you have to be inspired, and it's that doesn't happen. Like when you're writing games, nine to five, five days a week, you have to make yourself do it. It's it's just a job, and obviously, it's a great job, and and I'm very privileged to do it. I'm very thankful for it, but. It's still a job and it's still hard work. So if I'm feeling run down, the last thing I want to do is look at another t- damn game because I'm, I, what, what I do when I'm struggling with my inspiration or I'm forcing myself to, to push myself through and, and write the content I need to will be playing more games. And mm. that does become a job then, um, you know, during the day. Um, but. If I'm in the mood for playing a game, then I find it quite easy to sh- switch off. Because if I play a game when I'm fatigued and I'm sort of stressed out, I'm already in that place where I'm ripping apart mechanics and analyzing rules and reading a rule book and going, Oh, yeah. this is horribly laid out. Um, but if I, if I'm like, no, I really, really want to play, you know, stuffed fables or Azul or whatever it is, then I'm kind of in the mindset that I want to enjoy the game. And so therefore I find it a lot easier to. Yeah to to sort of detach myself um so it really does depend on my mood and like how tired and worn out I am because I find that when I'm sort of worn out I'm already stuck in that kind of grumpy taking you know analyzing everything to the nth degree um so yeah I I love games but they they do take energy for me to play um I know some people find that it recharges them but you know they still they still take a bit of time and energy and, and effort to understand and, and get involved in for me and so yeah if i don't have that energy then i'm likely to go well this game's broken because you know it, the resource re- refresh rate <laughs> is just rubbish and it might not even be true i mean yeah. everyone's opinions in the moment are different aren't they you come back to a game six months later and go "Ah, actually this is really good um you know, there's so many games I've written off after one play, and then yeah. I have played them again and gone. Ah, oh, no, this is actually quite a good game. Usually, because I've misunderstood things. Anyway, so
0: well, they need kind of like time to breathe. They're kind of like mm. a little bit like a like a like anything like a wine or a cheese or something. like That I feel some games because there's because there's so many of them, mm-hmm. and because people rush because in a lot of places people rush through to kind of get their opinions out there. I think sometimes a game's good points Get missed out and don't Appear until like the third or fourth play Whereas in some games You know they get kind of They kind of get lauded and raised To the sky and then about Six months later people go hang on I've been playing. This is my this is my eighth go of this game, and I realise it's you know these bits are a little bit kind of un, unbalanced. I think sometimes it's because there's the kind of the fear of missing out that people just don't stop and smell the roses mm. in yes, their board game garden. You know?
1: <laughs> I love I love it. I love the uh, the visualization of that. I think it. I think you're right, and I think this The sort of as an addendum to that, I think people don't give a game enough time, so when what I mean by that is playing past the first mission it is the hardest bit of a game to write is the first mission it's the it is the most difficult yes. because you're trying to teach everything to someone while also making it a simplified version, so it's easier for them to understand. So you're cramming in every single mechanic or at least like 70 to 80% of the the content into that first game, which is probably shorter and has less detail and is has to be uh, fun and engaging because you've got to hook people in. Um, and has got to have like, high points and low points, and it's it's got to have drama in it, all of that to, to kind of get people excited about the game so that they buy it, and also so that they mm. are likely to keep playing it. But if your experience of the first mission is a bit like, oh, that was a bit complicated, or oh, that was a bit jumbled, it's probably because they were just trying to cram everything into one thing. And actually, quite often, once you've played the second mission and then the third you realise, oh, actually, there's a lot of subtlety here. Oh, there's there's stuff you don't even need to really worry about in terms of complexity, you can just ignore that stuff. Um, or this stuff, you know, my my personal enjoyment doesn't come out of conquering worlds, mine's much more in the technology tree, so I'm not going to stress about memorising all of yeah. those rules um and yeah as you said then you get the chance for a game to breathe but a lot of people will play the first mission and often play the first mission multiple times with different people because you put that game on your shelf right you play it once and you're like oh, i'm not sure and then like 6 months goes by and then you can't remember how to play so then you pull it off the yes. shelf with a different group and then you play the first mission again <laughs> and then it goes back on your shelf and you repeat that ad nauseum really um you know and so it's it, 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 you, you only ever get that snapshot of that quick, fast-paced, crammed version of the of the game. And actually, usually, I find that second missions, second scenarios, third scenarios, you know, they that's where you really find out whether a game is good or not. In in my personal experience, anyway.
0: So what you're saying, so what you're saying here is that um, when people get the League of Infamy through their door, they should just completely ignore the first mission because it won't serve any purpose and go straight to the second because that's where all the good time fun times are. No.
1: <laughs> well, um well the thing is is to be fair you could. Um the the yeah. first mission we designed to be shorter so and it explain like it doesn't it takes a little bit of the decision making responsibility for someone who doesn't know how to play the game out of their hands yeah. and sort of says have these bits of gear or like the the keep master's already set up all the scenarios, so you don't need to like as the keep master, you don't need to worry about what does it mean to Im, you know, improve the strength of a door, or what does it mean to barricade, or what does it mean to put defenders on the board? Is that more or less effective? Because you don't know those things yet, because you haven't played the game yet. So it gives it take makes those decisions for you. But if you're happy to make those decisions for yourself, then you could absolutely play the second mission or the third mission. Um it's simply doesn't bother to sugarcoat the complexity Um, and some people don't need that I mean it is designed as a continuous campaign and there is a storyline that runs through it but if you're just playing a one-off mission yeah go go for it grab a grab a grab mission five off the shelf and play it it might be a little bit like oh gosh there's a lot of choices to make because in the the early versions yeah in the earlier scenarios we kind of don't want to bombard you with all those choices when you you don't know the context of those decisions yet but you know, yeah. the if the only way to learn is to try, isn't it? So dive in. <laughs> you know, um, I think sometimes we're too worried about letting people like trying to make it all things to all people, and I, I, I and I don't mean like specifically League of Infamy, but I, I see it a lot in a, especially in a lot of kickstarters, but also in a lot of like when people are buying games they'll go oh yes this cooperative game mm, but i like hidden movement well great there's some really amazing hidden hidden movement yeah. you know games over yeah. here and they go mm, yeah but those aren't fully cooperative and you're like okay i see what you're saying but those are difficult to get in one game and you might find a really great game that does it but you know and it and then for them to go yes but i also want single player and i also want it to be great two player and it's like some games are just great in of themselves And so trust the player to pick the game that suits them and trust that they they want to learn the rules. Um, And if someone wants something to be a bit of everything, it's likely going to be not very much of anything. So, you know, I'm really passionate about making sure that games suit the sort of player who wants to play them. If that makes any sense.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, it is. No, it's a double-edged sword because I see all the time Mm. the pressure on a Kickstarter campaign for... And somebody says okay here's our 2 to 4 player game And it's got standees And the first mm. question you go Well you're better with miniatures And the second mm. question is usually Is there going to be a solo mode And mm. the third question is Is there going to be a 5th f- a and 6th player Kind of expansion as well And I think sometimes mm. what happens is People, designers, developers End up pressurised into providing that because mm. everybody else seems to provide that as standard I mean, solo modes seem to be almost like a, a kind of a given nowadays And I see people trying to work on their solo modes When it's like, it's not going to work Just play two player kind of thing But play it by mm. yourself And you'll still get the kind of the balance So I kind of see the pressure The absolute pressure mm. with that That a lot of people, like you say Are trying to be kind of everyone to to kind of every everything. For people who You know are aware of Mantic's Quality and obviously it's history Hmm. But they're saying Well sell me The reason to give The League of Infamy A shot and a back What would you say To those people
1: uh, well it depends what they it, it's almost like saying sell me you know this car it's like well what do you need what do you want because this might not be you know it It might be perfect for you it might not be I don't know what you want but for me if you're the sort of person who likes playing with you know two to three other maybe four other pl- uh, friends um try to yeah one plus four is five see I, I can do maths um <laughs> And, uh, like, if you enjoy playing games with friends where you're, it's a bit silly, it's tactical, there's a lot of table talk, um, it's very interactive. Players are always engaged because even if you're not, it's not your bit of the turn, you're constantly looking at what's going on on the board, you're constantly thinking about how you can use your cards, both the Keep Master and the villains. if you're someone who likes that sort of game then this is a really great game for you. Um if you want something that's like heavy euro then no this is probably not the game for you. Um it's it's you know it, it for me I it's the most fun I've ever had making a game and every single game I've played has just been people sitting around a table and laughing for hours. Like it's it's I've never seen so much silly hilarity going on because it's just the timing of things you know you people will be like on their very last breath like crawling out the door and then someone trips them just for no benefit to themselves just because it's funny and spiteful and it's just it so encapsulates like the the feeling of the theme um and the, that you're a villain but you're like a slightly spiteful needlessly cruel villain not like a super villain yeah um and I just love yeah. it. It's, it's fun and silly. And if you're the sort of person who likes that sort of game and you like to have a lot of discussion, um, and a lot of tactics chat and, or you're the sort of person like the Keep Master who likes sort of plotting and kind of going, ah, ha, 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 then you're going to have a great time. Um, and that's all I can say, you know, and, uh, I, but I think there's a lot of people out there who, because they're so nervous about trying to make everyone love their game, they then have to teach it to everyone. And that's the bit that clags up that first or second mission. You know, the you know, if you have to yeah. teach non-models, people who don't like models how to build and paint models before they play the game, that's like a claggy bit that they're not gonna enjoy. Trust that people who buy your game are gonna like to build and paint models. Cause otherwise it's just gonna be it's just gonna be harder for you to make it fun. Um, and so that's what i I think we've we've tried really hard to do with League of Infamy is is trust that people who want to have that gaming experience will love it. And you know, and that's fine if you if that's not your thing. Um it and there are so many good games out there. You don't have to do a bit of everything, you know. Like the if you want solo play, I I love doing solo play games. I do solo playing playing like puzzle games and things um i love the escape games the, the escape room games i think they're brilliant um but you know they have their limitations i wouldn't try and play an escape room game with six friends because there's just not physically enough for everyone no. to be all doing at the same time and that's fine i'll get a six player game yeah, for yeah. when i have six friends around you know or five friends around see my mm-hmm. maths is slipping again now you see so <laughs> but so yeah uh, that's that's sorry that went into a ramble <laughs>
0: Do you know what the num Do you know what the numbers are then for pledging? <laughs> How much it's going <laughs> to cost to get yourself into the league of infamy? Because I have uh, it here that it is oh, it is seventy five British British pounds. Lovely, um, and that is the main the main uh, the main pledge. However, um, you can also get it for one hundred and thirty five pounds. The Master of Shadows pledge And that includes mm-hmm. the League of Infamy Infamy, They've all got it. Infamy board game The Wandering Monsters expansion The co-op deck The Kickstarter exclusive Blaine Villain And all the applicable stretch goals Plus more mm-hmm. apparently um, And that is £135 There's also one at 125 Which is a special But that might Potentially have gone or not have gone, depending I on how quickly I can edit first... this bad boy. Yeah,
1: together. yeah, exactly. I think that's the first 48 hours, so you've got 12 hours to go, yes. 11 hours. So chop, chop.
0: <laughs> I know it depends how much I want to chop, chop out of this. We shall see. We shall see. Um, <laughs> if people have listened along to tonight and they want to find you on the internet webs, where can we find you? On Ooh. the internet webs
1: We have all the social medias uh, If you s- google Needy Cat Games and any social media We're pretty much on most uh, Or you can go to needycatgames.com And if you want to have a look mm-hmm. At the game we will be bringing to Kickstarter It's uh, called Robot Fight Club And it's a uh, Arena Battle Robot fighting game It's two player and you play uh, some kids who've broken into a disused robot factory um, where they found old robots and repurposed them for the fun of having a robot fighting club, which is great. Um, and uh, you can actually play the game. You can download it and print and play it if you like to at com slash games. So you can just see Legal. if you like it. There you go.
0: Superb. I will make sure that I put all the links in the show notes So that we have got notes to show Um, If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to Then go to the internet webs and... Search for we are not wizards, and you will find us in all the various kind of worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races. Um, I am drawing your attention to the blog this time, which is wearenotwizards.blogspot.com, where we do previews, reviews, and opinion pieces. And the latest thing that we've written is about arcane blaster casters, um, which is the silliest name. I've ever heard but however um, It's uh, it's Battleboard games are coming to Kickstarter very Soon and we had some things to say About it um, If you like what you've heard you can go to The podcast catchers of your choice the ones that Have got used pod the ones that use cast The ones that use neither like player FM um, And if you like us very much Please consider going to Apple Podcasts and drop Us a subscription or a Rating or a review if you are Going to be dropping us a rating or a review Don't give us 10 stars because it makes me big headed But don't give us one star Because it makes me kind of cry And it's almost Christmas and it's almost my birthday And you don't want to make me cry Give us something in the middle Like a five Because it's average and we are just a little bit average But the person who's not Being average today Is the rather wonderful The rather fantastic Sophie Williams Thank Aww. you very very much for coming on Oh, well, Thank you Um, There's only two more things to do The first Mm -hmm. thing is to remember That we're many things But we're not wizards Are we wizards Sophie? No That's a good answer I'll take that one And the second thing is to say goodbye So it is a goodbye from Sophie Say goodbye Sophie
1: Goodbye
0: And it's a goodbye from me Remember stay safe Roll sixes Make something awful And um, get yourself well, check out the League of Infamy because you know it's a twist on a normal thing, and you've got Mantic there. And Mantic know what they're doing, you know. So check it out. You might like it. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late.